Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, joined by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Eric, game one of the most brutal four-game stretch in college basketball this season did not go well for the Florida Gators. No, one of those ones where from pretty quick in the game, you kind of felt like it was going to be a, a, a bit of a rough one. Uh, I kind of want to ask you, I mean, I kind of, you know, started to put the uh, put the feelers out, uh, wondering like if the Gators could come away with some big win. I kind of pointed out that, oh, this is a team that on, the Ken, on Ken Palm on the net was a lot lower than their AP poll kind of indicated um, where they were fifth. I think they were 26th in Ken Palm though so we kind of had the conversation of do we think they're closer to the fifth best team in the country as their AP poll ranking would suggest or the 26th ranked team they were on Ken Palm um so of course the Gators get absolutely blasted um really dominated in this one do you feel like this was a you know where how, how do you feel about Kansas State essentially do you think this was a top five team that just blasted the Gators or was this the 26th best team that just blasted the Gators it looked like a top 10 team to me I will say that it looked it looked like a team. It certainly looked like a ranked team that played really well at home. Um, so I kind of thought that because you know, and we'll get into the game more, obviously. But uh, I thought that they just, you know, they they outclassed Florida from. They had a better game plan. Uh, they executed what they intended to do, and um, certainly there two star players perform better than Florida's star player. Yeah, having two of those guys is definitely nice. Um, I mean, again, I it's would rather him not have to have done it against the Gators, but I just love Marquise Noel. Um, if that was your first time watching him play, you got the, the full experience. He is so much fun. He had a number of beautiful assists where he broke down the defense because he was getting anywhere he wanted on the floor against the Gators. Um, or he, you know, did his thing and hit some big shots off the dribble from deep. So he is excellent. Of course, Keontae Johnson just looks like Keontae Johnson um, before the incident. So that's obviously awesome to see. Uh, but those are two, you know, very, very good players. So I thought that was, uh, as as you said, um, I think that they were better um, than, than Colin Castleton. Not to say that Castleton was bad by any stretch, but if this Gators team is going to beat any team that's even okay they need con castleton to be incredible it kind of seems and uh you know he was good he was he was not incredible i, I do think it's interesting though just going back to like the yukon game where the gators um got beat pretty good and uh we all we kind of came away from it thinking that oh like this this yukon team is actually really really good and that's just you know the gators played a team that was awesome playing well and uh you know since then yukon is started to play not quite as well, but I, I, I think that they, I, I still really like that UConn team. I, I think this Kansas state team is, is, is really good. But um, what I'm getting at is it can be tough when you lose by, you know, 20 or around that, or just lose badly to wonder like how much of that was playing a really good team and, and how much of that was the Gators not playing very well. And I, I don't know. I, I still don't think the Gators, played very well at all and while that's still i still want to give credit to kansas state i don't think it was like a situation where they ran into a team that was as good as uconn was playing at that time and just you know ran into the buzzsaw i just thought the gators were not very good in this one um at least on the offensive end and we're you know pretty good on the defensive end but if you are 
looking like one of the worst time major teams in the country offensively. You've got to be pretty darn good defensively to make up for it. We've seen that they can play elite elite defense. Um, they just played really good defense on this night. And of course that's just, uh, that's not enough. Yeah, man. Uh, it's not enough. And you know, the worst part was of course that, uh, Florida did this thing that they've done all year where they started slow and you just can't do that against good teams constantly. Um, and you know, while Florida, you mentioned it, I thought Florida played good defense. They played, I thought they played great defense in the second half. Um, but you know, for the first 15 minutes of the game, they didn't play very good defense. They let Kansas state kind of lift the floor. Uh, Kansas state was able to, to get into gaps and, and, uh, drive. They were able to get deep in the paint, whether it was Keontae Johnson or Marquise Noel, um, Florida players weren't particularly disciplined in defending on two feet. Florida went in the air a lot. Uh, Marquise Noel nearly had a triple-double in the first half. Really, most of that came in the first few minutes as Kansas State built a huge lead. And it didn't seem like the Gators did anything really to adjust until um, halftime when they could get in and, and get on the iPad and kind of look at the video a little bit. Uh you know, that's worrisome, Eric. Um, and it's a testament to how well Florida did defend in the second half that uh, I think I said on my quick take hot takes that that was the second lowest points per possession for Kansas State this year. Um, it was the lowest. I was wrong. Uh, you know, so at .88, that was their worst offensive game of the season. Um, and it's kind of a testament to how well Florida defended in the second half. It's a little bit of testament to not hitting some shots. Um, but we could say that about Florida. So, you know, just these slow starts have to stop and really they have to stop immediately. Well, like, honestly, I think like my one pushback to that would be that the Gators or sorry, Kansas state, you know, it, garbage time came early. And that I was going to say, because I've, I'm pretty certain that if this game was close, like Marquise Noel has an easy triple double. And the fact that the Gators couldn't keep that, that game competitive. Um, Cause I think it was, it was, you know, I forgot, I think it was seven or so rebounds and like six or so assists or seven assists at half. And then he just, you know, Gators came out and did play. They did defend really well to start. I'm not trying yep. to take that away, but like, you know, garbage time came early. And if that game was competitive, I'm not sure the Gators keep, I'm not sure Kansas State is at that points per possession mark, but again, I will give the Gators some credit. Again, I, I thought they were really good defensively. I, I, again, it's just like the situation where it where it feels like we're having the same conversation every podcast where the defense was really good, and I feel like bad because we can't even give it its full shine because the defense is or sorry, the offense is so so dreadful. Um, I, I forget who tweeted this at the show, so not trying to not give him credit. Maybe you, you know, and could pull it up, but um, of course, Bart Torvik has the, um, has a great kind of stat. That's really nice. Also, you know, if you're filling out your mark, your bracket in March, it's really good to kind of see who's been playing well heading into postseason play. So they've got efficiency over the last 10 games. So a little bit of a, of a, some context as well, all season long, Bart Torvik has been even higher on Florida's defense than, than Ken Palm. And they've been even lower on, on Florida's offense. So as it sits on the season, the Gators are seventh in, in defensive efficiency um, as per Bartorvik and 195th offensively. 
But if you look at the last 10 games, the Gators are third in the country defensively, outstanding. They are 286th offensively. Ooh. That was 286th. So, oh. I, I mean, it's it's just one of those things that, like, I, I, I just wish we could be getting so fired up about this defense that, and, and again, I think we could also have this conversation. I don't know if you have too much of a take, but, like, watching like you know per my eye test i I think i'm closer to bart torvik who has always been higher on florida's defense and lower on the offense than ken palm yeah um than ken palm but again i'm I'm not you know it's uh pick your pick your pick your poison here the um while ranks change a little bit there uh there's no question about what side of the floor this this team is much better on but but that like that number is staggering and and again it's one of those things that i was thinking about it and it's um like it's almost hard to believe that like as bad as the Gators have been 286th over like in the country offensively, like it's almost like, okay, the Gators have been bad offensively, but like, that's, you know, that's just ridiculous 286. But like, when you look at it, like again, Kansas state is not a great defensive team and the Gators scored 50 points. Texas A&M is not a great defensive team and the Gators scored 52 points. Missouri is not a good defensive team at all. They're terrible. And the Gators scored 64. And when you think about it, like, those are the point totals you'd expect if those teams were playing by games against low major opponents. You know right. what I mean? Like if Texas A&M, te- like Texas A&M playing by games against low major opponents, like y- those low major opponents are probably getting 52 and 63 points. Kansas state, when they're buying teams in the, in early in the season, their opponents are getting like 50. And it's like, well, that's what the Gators are getting. So like, while at first that number over their last 10 games seemed like, okay, like I know the Gators offense is bad, but this is unbelievable to like, when you really think about the results, it's like, yeah, it, it really, it really might be that bad. Um, but what, what, what do you think, Neil? Is it, <laughs> what, do you, what do you think uh, from, from Ken Palm? I think that Ken Palm has the Gators 147th. Bart Torvik has the Gators 195th. And over the last 10 games, they're 286 in the country. Just how, bad do you think this florida offense is yeah no i think that was our buddy jared that tweeted the bartorvik numbers mm, of course um and yeah i mean i think uh i mean i think that they're that bad i mean there's a couple of fundamental things that they keep doing that drive me insane um and they did it again against kansas state uh, they continually um and i said one of these things uh and i was really interested in your take and that's the good thing about these quick take hot takes for the Patreons is like, um, and we love you guys. Thank you for subscribing. But um, it's cool to like kind of get some of the thoughts that are just stream of consciousness out. And then you're like, I really want to ask Eric about that. Like Florida spacing is terrible. And I think part of the reason that Florida has so much trouble getting Colin Castleton the ball on the low block a little bit is that their spacing gets all sorts of discombobulated usually right after they set the first screen. Any any thoughts on that? Because I'm definitely closer to the Bart Torvik scenario. Like, I don't need to get too deeper into that take. That's kind of my first take on, on Florida's offensive problems. The second one is much more obvious. I'll just get it out now and then let you reply. Um, they can't shoot. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and this game is a great example of can't shoot, Eric, because um, – shot quality had the final at 82.75. And so that means Florida left 25 points on the floor from a shot quality standpoint, just because they didn't make shots. 
Yeah, well, I was gonna. Yeah, I'll th- I'll throw this one back to you. But I, like again, I, I think I think Florida's <laughs> spacing is okay. I think their initial spacing is is okay, and then of course spacing is. You know, you've got to respace after some of these actions. And again, I, right. I, I almost think it's a little bit more like I, I would say that I find it uh, like stagnation more of a problem than like spacing necessarily. But again, I just I just feel like the Gators are just not crisp at all going through their actions. And again, I do think they're trying to do a little bit more of throwing the ball into Colin Castleton in the high post and then yeah. kind of running splits. And the splits are just so fundamentally bad. The angles are bad. They're slow to get into them. They're not tight. Like, again, and that's one of those things where that's kind of the offense I expected a little bit more with how San Francisco played and how Richmond played. And then to just see, like, guys that look like they don't know how to run split action, like, that's that's the stuff that that's, you know, concerning to me. And it's it's – it's uh, it's one of those things. I, I'm glad. You, well, I mean, I was going to ask you about this. You brought it up before I mentioned it, but a, a common theme now, whether it's at half at halftime, which I did listen to a little bit. I, I will tell you, I, I didn't really listen to the radio broadcast for this one actually, uh, because of you know I do really like uh, Spatola, who works really hard, and he always talks to me before he's got a Gators game, so I know he. They're very good. Work. I know he, I just really said like, so he always has lengthy conversations with me before he has a Gators game. So I know he puts in his work. So um, I, I wanted to listen to him, but I did go just before halftime. And, and again, it's just like, whether it's half halftime or the post game. Uh, and again, it's, it's, it is funny because like, again, when they're asked like, Hey, you know, what do you need to do to score the ball better? It's not like golden's ever going to, or any coach is going to give an X's and O's answer, but it's, it seems, you know, it's, it's a whole lot of like, Hey, we got to make shots. And I, I just the fact that the Gators aren't really changing up what they're doing offensively. I, I, I just wonder if that's really what the coaching staff believes. Is that like, oh, we're just not making shots? And I'm gonna probably write an article about this, but I do not think that's the issue. And again, Florida is not a good shooting team. They're not a bad. They're not a horrendous shooting team. And in my opinion, and I would back those up with a number of facts that I'll write about, or a number of stats, not facts. I, sh- I should just say stats to back it up. But the fact of the matter is um, similar to what we what I wrote about in uh, some of you know some of the Mike White teams um, when it was like oh we're just not making shots and uh, yeah. I thought that the situation was not shot making but shot creating um, that has been cranked up to eleven for this team because the Gators are making like when the Gators create quality shots they're hitting I'll, I'll give I'll give you this teaser. I will not give any stats because I don't have it in front of me, but I'll give you this. Yeah. So I'll probably write about it. When the Gators are creating decent shots, they are hitting them at a well above national average rate. The problem is that they are their their ability to create shots is well below the national average. So to me, when I see a team that is hitting their quality looks at an extremely high rate, but not creating many of those shots, like to me, that's not like the issue is not, oh, this, you know, we just got to make shots. Why do the Gators not recruit shooters and all that stuff that comes on the message board and Twitter after game. So I, I, yeah, again, it's uh, not a hot take at this moment to say, uh, to say the Gators offense is bad, but uh, to reduce it to, um, you know, the the Gators are just not, are, you know, just not making shots that that's not uh, an adequate answer, at least in my opinion. No, I agree with that. I was pointing out that I thought on Saturday, they didn't hit shots that were open. Based on the like shot quality numbers, I mean they kind of created some good shots in the second half and didn't make them anyway. Um, but I don't think that that's 
And I think I've been pretty clear that I don't think that they create enough of them. They also continue to, especially with Trey Bonham's minutes down, uh, the number of players who can create their own look has been really reduced to Riley Kugel, um, which he's a freshman and he's had some really nice moments for them and I'm glad he's playing. Uh, but that's kind of what it is, especially with Kowasi Reeves not making catch and shoots and sort of pressing and not taking good shots. Um, so, but I did think on Saturday night in particular, Florida's had a problem against a, a good, but not great defense um, in that when they did get open shots, uh, they didn't make them as quick. Another big problem was, and this speaks to your stagnation point a little bit, like Florida's actions off when they do get the ball in the post. Um, those are too slow, Eric. They don't cut fast enough. There's not uh, secondary actions happening fast enough. And so that is sort of, at least to me, a little bit of why Collins struggled more Saturday night passing out of the double teams than he has maybe in the last couple games because less was happening off the ball. And I think he was forced to wait longer. Uh, that's just what I saw. I mean, there, there, there's just times where I, the Gators aren't really running a lot of off the ball. They're just looking to space and, and, and then, you know, Castlin can recognize the double team if it comes. Um, I mentioned that I would love for them to get into a little bit more off ball action. Um, again, as much as I just said that they don't look very good running split action, <laughs> it would still be a great opportunity to run split action, at least take two possible defenders away from, from double teaming. But um, yeah, again, it's, it's uh Colin Castlin is excellent. Um, he's an excellent player. Um, he's a really good scorer and a really good post-up player. But I, again, I just, if, if you're going to run your offense, like with the primary option being um, a low post player, that guy truly has to be outstanding. And I do think that Colin Castleton is very, very good, but I don't think he's outstanding. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, and when you factor in that the Gators have so little going on offensively, and they do have a really, really good score in Colin Castellan. It's like, yeah, you know what, you know what opponents are going to, you know, focus on. And I, I do think you've run into a couple games too, where there's teams that uh, prioritize taking away the rim against any team and that are going to double down on the post against any team. Like um, Mississippi State's a good example. And, and, and Kansas State's like that. And, and Tennessee's like that and played Tennessee, like teams that like aggressively double team the post anyways, against any team. Um, then you add in this Florida basketball team that, is their best player as a center. Their shooting is suspect. Um, it just, you, you know, that those, you know, coverages are going to get, get exasperated. Like they're going to just do it even, even more aggressively. So yeah, um, it's, it's, it's one of those things that's like, uh, yeah, I don't know if I've, it's, I don't even know if I think Colin Castleton is like struggling. I think Colin Castleton is like so consistent and like, yes, sometimes he'll like make a little bit more on the rim or miss a little bit more around the rim. But like, I really do think that like Castleton has been, throughout his time at Florida, a very consistent performer. And some people are going to be like, oh, but he has games that fluctuate great wildly in points and efficiency and stuff like that. But like, I feel like he's generally quite consistent and it's all about what's going on around him and how well the offenses ran and how teams choose to defend him. Um, and uh, right now, I just think he's got a massive, massive spotlight on him because I'm not sure who else um, on the Gators really scares opponents. And I'm not sure if they see anything the Gators run as particularly difficult to guard. So it's just selling out on, on taking away Colin Castleton when he gets the ball in the post. Yeah. And I think like 
So you just alluded to something that I feel like we have to talk about, even though it's the first year and there's been 21 games of the Todd Golden era. Um, I just feel like kind of the responsibility of the podcast is to discuss this. So, you know, I don't think Florida is running anything that's particularly complicated. I don't think that they've necessarily adjusted their offense enough to, to match the talent that is on the floor. We've seen um, that Florida in the past that some of these players have been able to score. Um, and to that point, you know, schematically it's been so bad because uh, I don't think you can reduce it down to just not making shots when, um, for example, four of the worst 10 offensive performances from an efficiency standpoint in the Ken Palm era, so dating back 20 or 21 years, um, have come under Todd Golden in 21 games uh, under Kevin Hovday as the offensive coordinator. Um, and by the way, that number of four, um, just for all the Mike White basketball hour tweeters, that's all I'm shouting this out for, that number of <laughs> <clears throat> that number of four is two more than the entire Mike White era. Um, there are only two of the worst 10 efficiency games uh, in the White era. Uh, that's incorrect. That That's one more. I'm sorry. Three of the worst 10 were in the White era. Um, four have been in the Golden era already. Oklahoma, uh, Connecticut, um, and then the top two, West Virginia, and then Kansas State, Florida's worst offensive game in the Ken Palm era. Uh, Saturday night in Manhattan. So your thoughts on Kevin Hovday and like what, you know, they might want to be evaluating uh, as they kind of look, look ahead to, to close this season strong and, and hopefully at least grind out an NIT berth. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like, I think it would be easy and, and some people have got like the, the smarter Gator fans who follow the game close enough to know that the Gators do have someone that, um, that Golden has referred to as his offensive coordinator have, have been smart enough to be like, well, if this guy's the offensive coordinator, we're going to pretend like it's football and like we can put all our anger towards this guy. And like, I, like that's yep. one thing that just like, <laughs> like, like maybe, but like maybe it's exclusively him, but it's one of those things too. If I even want to go back, like I'll tell you this, like there's some teams that have an offensive coordinator. And if there's a guy drawing up a play in a timeout, it's their offensive coordinator. Um, as I continue to shout out the Gators radio broadcast um, and how I love that, Lee Humphrey is always talking about what happens in timeouts in the several games I've listened to on the radio. Every single timeout has been, has been Todd golden, which is interesting to me for it. Whenever he's drawing up a play, it has always been Todd golden. And again, that's, that's very interesting to me because in a lot of situations, like if there was truly an offensive coordinator as an assistant staff, like that would be that, that would be the offensive coordinator drawing up an offensive play. And again, like maybe it's, it, it, I, and I'm also not saying that. So what I'm saying is like, maybe it's not all Hubdy's fault, but it's maybe it's not all. And, and to say that it's uh Ty golden drawing up all these after time out plays, not suggesting it's all his fault. I just wonder if the answer is somewhere in between when it comes to Florida's schematics, that it's not just the player that, or the sure. coach that we, sure. we think is the offensive coordinator. Um, and we don't know how much it's the head coach, but the fact of the matter is this, this offense is again, it is truly horrendous. So I, I I like again from where I stand, I'm not going to make any judgments as to who who like how much of the blame falls where, but like there <laughs> there needs to be a significant overhaul, whether that's whether that is um hey, we uh we gave this offensive coordinator title to you. Um 
this wasn't good enough. You know what? I, you know, I, as the head coach, I'm going to handle this. Or if that's, Hey, maybe we bring in another offensive coordinator, or if that's like a, Hey, you know, this continuity ball screen stuff that worked in the mid major level at the West coast, not going to cut it in the sec. We need to overall like the, the results just are what they are is as long as it's truly not that they, that the staff thinks, Oh, we're just not hitting shots. Um, which again is not a satisfactory answer to me of why the offense has been bad. So like there, there needs to be a major change and I'm not saying I'm calling for someone to be fired because I don't know how much of that is on whom's shoulders, but like it would be truly, you know, wild to go through this season and then go back. If, if whatever the Gators, let's just say that nothing majorly changes um, in a production standpoint offensively, if we are talking about the first game, first game of the season next year tips off probably against the low major opponent. If we see the Gators getting a continuity, continuity ball screen, that would be wild. Um, unless they have significantly different players, which like maybe they will, that, that suits it a little bit more, but it seems a whole lot like they came in with a plan of how they're going to play basketball. That doesn't really fit their, their guys. And it's also a style of basketball that has not shown to be effective at this level. So, um, yeah, it's it's it, it's it's interesting, and maybe it's more off-season question answering um, about kind of who is responsible for the schematics of the offense. But it is very clear that those are that whoever is responsible that those X's and O's and the teaching of the offense has been sorely inadequate for this level of basketball. And uh, it, hey, maybe maybe things will completely flip here in the last section of the season. Um, but we haven't really seen many changes yet. So I think it's probably going to continue. And then there will have to be um, some, some serious questions asked and, and some serious action by, um, by the staff to either completely overhaul the <laughs> offense they're trying to run or change up who's responsible for it. Yeah, I would agree with that. And by the way, that can happen and it can happen successfully. Um, I would like to use Alabama who Florida will play in about a week as a good example of that. I mean, you're one, under Nate Oates, uh, they finished 114th in defensive efficiency. Uh, don't be deceived and think, well, that's better than Florida's offense was, uh, because in SEC play, uh, they were 199th in defensive efficiency, and they were 13th in the SEC of 14 teams in defense, Eric. Um, and guess what? They made some adjustments and came back and were much better at it the next season and won the SEC. I'm not saying that that will necessarily be Florida's progression, uh, but the point is that, you know, these staffs do adjust. Um, you know, Nadoats was obviously not pleased that he went 16 and 15 and they made some changes. Um, Florida could very well be 12 and 12 in 10 days. Uh, so, you know, I think, I think, and if they are, they're going to be 12 and 12 with a top 10 defense. And, you know, there's only one real solution to, to that. And it's fixed the reasons that you can't score. Um, so just kind of wanted to throw that out there for, for listeners who are disheartened 21 games into the, the golden tenure. <laughs> and again, I, I think it's, it's, and I, we're probably guilty of it a little bit thinking about like, Oh, there's no way the offense can get, significantly worse than than what it maybe had these last couple of years and like yeah it uh, apparently can so um uh, and and again I, I would be pretty interested and these will probably be for off-season discussions and maybe we can even have one on this podcast um but with you know a member of the staff but uh i i just wonder if there was ever a point like like at, at what point they realized the offense was really bad and 
why they chose not to address it. And if their answer was like, Hey, you know what? We always thought we were going to struggle a little bit. Um, we didn't think we could fix this in, in a couple of weeks. Um, but we did think we could double down on defense and become an elite defensive team. That would definitely satisfy me a little bit because this was a not very good defensive team that has become truly elite. So if there was something along that line, I would be, I'd be pretty, I just would be pretty interested to know because the team started not very good on either side of the floor and then they got a whole lot better on one and a whole lot worse on the other side of the floor. So I wonder if that was a, a moment where they chose to um, put all their kind of energy and efforts towards one side of the, the ball. And uh, I, 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 I'm curious right now, but uh, it's, it's even interesting too. like say the Gators had a really good offensive end to the season. Like, you know, yeah. I, I don't even know how much they could jump and catch. I mean, well, there's no answer to how much they could hypothetically <laughs> jump, but I mean, if they jumped to, 80th in offense in Ken Palm, that would be, that would mean they had a very successful February. Close. And, uh, yep. and uh, that would be the end is like, you know, 80, but again, we'll be certainly monitoring the, the Bart Torvik last 10 game efficiency. Cause it was fascinating. I was still floored by that when, when Jared tweeted it at, uh, at the show, or I don't know if you retweet or whatever it was, but I saw it and I was just floored, but then, you know, thought about it yeah. a little bit. And you look at these point totals against defenses that are not elite. And you're like, yeah, no, that's uh, that really is probably where Florida's offense has been over these last ten games, and uh, yeah, not not good, not good. Yeah, and I got a message from uh, Fred Varn uh, reminding me to check the <laughs> the, the the top ten worst offensive performances. So shout out to him and Jared for giving us some great uh, data points to discuss on the podcast as we discuss uh, Florida's offense. A bunch of our listener questions were sort of geared to um that question so i think i said jared and it was jacob our friend jacob uh yes who uh who hit us up with that but yeah i i, I did give that a retweet and um gosh i mean that's uh that's a mess but we'll get into a couple of listener questions before we turn our attention to tennessee uh rb at ron Bendakovich one ask uh, what's going on with Kowasi? It looks like he's gotten sped up and out of control. Hmm. Yeah. It's uh, it's obviously someone who has been a little bit erratic throughout his college career, gets hot, gets cold. We're seeing a little bit more of the cold. So um, I think he's always going to be a little bit prone, but um, I don't think his shot selection has been very good. And I honestly wonder, yeah, and this is not, you know, again, not sourced at all. I have not talked to him, but like I just, when I, when I see players that are taking bad shots, which the Gators are doing a lot more of recently, I honestly wonder if a lot of it is how much they trust the offense or in this case, don't trust the offense. Because when you start hucking up some of the stuff that we've seen from some of these players, I just wonder if they think like, man, are we going to go through our offensive progressions that haven't been working for 21 games? And like, my, I might as well like go get one up here. Like, you know, I don't, I don't believe I where I'm going to get a good shot out of this offense or we're going to get a good shot. I better go try to create, like, I honestly wonder, cause uh, I do think the shot selection has been not very good. And I think you, when you look at the quality of the shots he's getting, um, it's not really surprising that he's been a little bit cold. And what's interesting, he's had some, some games recently um, where he was quite good um, from two point land and, and finishing at the rim. And um, that's something that we, we love to see him attacking. And just like whenever he's gotten those shots, on the interior, he's been quite efficient. The, the um, variance has been a lot when it comes to the three-point shot. And, and again, I, I I don't think that the offense is – and I've mentioned it on several um, podcasts. I don't think the offense the Gators are running 
are is particularly um, geared towards Kwesi Reeves' strengths. So I don't think he's being utilized great. And I just feel like maybe he's just pressing a little bit. feels like he needs to create. He's one of the guys that is an offensive threat on a team that's um, has a couple. Cause again, we don't think that this team's loaded with bad offensive players. We think there's actually no. a good number of good offensive players. Um, but it just seems like, yes, he is pressing. And I feel like for a guy who probably feels like he needs to create something within an offense, he maybe doesn't trust, or maybe he's not utilized the best and he's going to take some, some poor shots. But what do you think? No, I mean, I'm, I, I just think that there's definitely a lot of pressing going on because I don't think his shot selection is necessarily, uh, uh, you know, I don't think it is that bad. Um, it's hard for me to imagine that, uh, it, it's just, he, he's some of the shots he's taking. I don't, I can't speak to distrust with the offensive system, mm-hmm. but a lot of the shots he's taking are just full out you know, I'm pressing and I need to see the ball go in type shots. Um, And I think he just needs to play within himself. I'm not necessarily sure how sped up he is. I think he does get a little sped up on his drives. I think he's made a conscious effort and it's a credit to him that he's attacking closeouts a bit more and using his length and trying to get towards the rim. I think he's going to improve at that as a junior. I do think he'll come back and play as a junior, whether it's at Florida or somewhere else. And I think, that he will continue to get better at that, Eric. But I don't think, um, you know, you know, he's not really a polished driver yet. So I do think that's another bit of an issue um, uh, for for Wacy right now. A second listener question that I can address real quick is, um, oh, that was also from RB. He just asked, uh, is one of Colin Castleton's most underrated skills his ability to defend without fouling? And I would say absolutely. Like, I think it's just tremendous that Colin Castleton does not get into foul trouble that often. Um, You know, I think the fact that he's a high-level shot blocker without getting into foul trouble very often is uh, even more impressive. That is actually quite difficult to do. Yeah, he's been fantastic. And again, I, I wish we could talk more about the defense because um, I do feel like it almost, you know, in a, in a way we have um, – like not given the defense and enough shine. We always reference that it's been so good, but then we have to go talk about this, this offense that's so dreadful or, or losses that are bad when the defense has been great. And, and again, I think that Colin Castleton is um, excellent defender. Um, very good as a help side blocker. Um, also just very good as a kind of primary room defender, just kind of walling up. And that comes into his ability to, to not foul. It's really kind of trusting his length and, and his positioning. And then I think again, um, fouls are often committed when players are out of position and Florida's defense has been excellent, keeping guys out of rotation and keeping Castleton from having to be late rotating and picking up a blocking foul, um, or having to recover because a guy got blown by in the perimeter and he's taking a, has to come from a bad angle to try to contest a shot and hits guys on the wrist. It's like his defense or his ability to defend without fouling is, is of course a credit to him. I also think it's a credit to Florida's defense, which has been so good at keeping out of rotation and and keeping players out of position because uh, Castlin gets to stay square to the ball and use that, that length. So um, definitely credit to him, but also credit to the defense as a whole. Yes, 100%. I muted myself again. Um, we had a bunch of questions about recruiting in 2024. So um, I don't like hate getting into that a little bit. I know people want to talk about it. Uh, I think um, a guy that, you know, a lot of people are very hopeful about, uh, I guess, that we could start with is, is Gainesville's own 
uh, Ryan Jones Jr. Um, Florida has had some luck with The Rock, and they've had some Bill Self with The Rock. So you never know uh, what kind of dark money is floating around. Um, but I would say that, that Florida certainly is going to have a chance at landing Ryan Jones. Yeah, I think everyone is kind of rightfully um, excited for him, and and I think hey, people should go. And obviously, if you're local and have the, the opportunity, you should you should go to the Rock and, and see some of these great players. Um, it's it's always like I I don't know, I guess a little bit surprising that that some of the the, the Gainesville native um, Florida fans don't head out to these games a little bit more. And and I'd I'd love to see. And I have no I don't know anyone. I, I would go. I don't know anyone at the Rock, but uh, I just think like again, they've got some good dudes. They could play in there. So. Um, and I just think people should have the opportunity should support high school or prep basketball, uh, whatever's closest to you and whatever's, you know, good hoops. And that's obviously really good basketball. So, um, yeah, he, he seems like an outstanding player and I, and I do like Florida's recruiting strategy of where I don't want to say going to punt on 2023 because they're still, um, doing a lot of player evaluation and, and, um, getting some offers out, but like, they're not going at the, like big fish that they'd probably be wasting their time with getting in late. Um, they said, Hey, we're going after all these big fish in, in, in 2024. And, and I, I do really like that. Um, so whether it pays off, like we'll be interested to see. And in, in some ways, like that could define a lot about where this, uh, um, you know, current trajectory is, is, is going because, um, it looks like this year is, like again, I don't even can't even really call it a rebuild year. I guess we'll call it a transition year. Um, next year, the Gators are you could call that one a little bit again. We'll see who they get in the portal yeah, we'll slash see. target in the portal, but that one might be a little bit more of a of a of a you know rebuild year. And then they're going after these yeah. big names in in twenty twenty four. And whether they land them or not, I'm not saying that it is a contingent on if they land like the trajectory of this program is contingent on if they land a couple of the top 50 or top 10 uh, players, the Gators are, are after. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's always, you know, people are, I and again, I think some people have joked um, on Twitter that like when people start talking about like, where's Florida's recruiting at that people are like, Oh, here's, you know, the sea, there's a sign of the season that the season's going badly when people start asking about recruiting in February. And like, there might be an element of that, but I know that there's just a lot of people who love recruiting as we know on the show, because yeah. people want more recruiting talk and we don't really deliver it. Um, but it's certainly interesting and, and uh, fun for the Gators to be involved with big names. And uh, of course, uh, you know, landing one or two would, uh, would certainly be, uh, be exciting for for the staff and the program. Yeah, and they're they're after a bunch of big targets. Like, I mean, they have a legitimate chance at landing Ryan Jones. So I think um, that's kind of where it starts. Uh, but if you want to talk about other players, obviously Asa Newell uh, is another guy that they'd love to get on campus. Um, he has been, you know, somebody that's been interested in Florida from the beginning. Florida was one of the first schools to offer him. Under the prior regime, they renewed their offer immediately. And like the second day, the Golden Staff was here. Um, you know, so Florida has had success landing people from Montverde under their prior staffs. Um, but, you know, obviously Todd Golden and his staff have to do some work there. Luckily, they did hire an assistant who has recruited there plenty. Uh, so um, I think that Florida, you know, if they can get him on campus, that's that's good. Uh, right now, I would say sort of Georgia, Indiana, and Arkansas are making a little more headway for for Asa than than Florida is. Beyond that guy, um, another guy that Florida is very much interested and in, in the discussion for is David Castillo out of Oklahoma. 
who I, I have told Eric a couple times, I think is either just going to be like a one and done all American or um, just a guy that, you know, transfers five times and we don't <laughs> like his, his game is very explosive. Um, he's never met a shot. He doesn't like uh, he's a fancy passer. Uh, he has Steph Curry YouTube video range. Um, you know, the thing there is that he's from just outside of Oklahoma city. So whether or not, uh, they can pry him away from Oklahoma state, who's offered him in seventh grade, I think is a question that, uh, will remain to be seen. A guy I feel a little more confident about is Isaiah Brown. Um, recently was offered by St. Mary's recently was offered by UCLA. Uh, so the power of six offers are starting to trickle in, although St. Mary's isn't power six, but they're not really a mid-major either. Um, you know, not anymore. Uh, and so, um, you know, he's a, a four-star guy in the top 50. He's rated a little more highly by a 24-7 composite than he is by on three or ESPN. Plays at Christian Brothers. Oh, plays at Christian Prep in Orlando. Uh, and um, not really a flashy scorer, I don't think, but a good passer and a solid defender, Eric. I, I just watched a little bit of him last week because I wanted to write something up because he came to Florida for an unofficial. And um, I really like his game, actually. And again, it's 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 an interesting one where like you see his offer list that has not been great. And you wonder how much of that is, again, just uh, recruiting has changed so much recently with, with the portal that you just see some of these players' offer lists and they're just not at all what you expect. And you wonder how much of it is just that Teams are just not even looking at some of these sophomores until they're late in their junior years um, or in their senior years. And just like, it seems like the process is so much later than normal. Um, it's some schools are just, well, not some, lots of schools are just taking less high school players than ever. And you look at a player um, like Brown, where he just looks better than his offer list was, um, but where he ends up, we'll, we will see, but he's definitely like, um, I thought he, he like, again, not a great athlete or like, elite score, but also seemed to just like get in the paint whenever he wanted and, and had a little bit of shiftiness and craftiness and he's got yeah. a good frame. And like Smart. one of those guys that at like six, four, if he's your two guard, he would bring like quite plus ball handling, I think, or would project to. And uh, yeah, I, I definitely be interested. I, I think that we'll see where he ends in the recruiting rankings um, to see whether, how much people would get uh, super excited. But like when, I think, you know, as, as even a few weeks ago or months ago, he was like a three-star with like Florida Gulf coast and, you know, something else like that as as an FAU, um, which, uh, Hey, maybe FAU is just going to start going after some top Uh, 100 kids with how dusty, (laughs) uh, but, uh, that should tell you something. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, but, uh, no, he, uh, yeah, pretty, I'd be pretty interested by that one as, as someone who maybe doesn't, uh, um, light up the recruiting rankings, but looks like a solid player that you could hopefully uh, see for a couple of years in, in Gainesville. Yeah. He's a good player. Like I'd love it if he were the third guy in the class, mm. you know, like you have these headliners and then like there's Isaiah Brown, who's like this four star that's already in the top 100 on 24 seven, just got a 31 spot bump, which led to the UCLA offer. I'm sure. Um, you know, I, I don't know if it's the chicken and the egg there, right? Like it could have been like, oh, but in any event, he's now in the top 100 on the 24-7 rankings. Eric just wrote about him at Gator Country. Um, so check that out. I, I feel like he'll be a part of the class probably. 
Um, you know, if the staff does their job and seals the deal, they've already closed on a couple of Orlando kids. So, um, you know, they're doing okay in that area. Uh, but those are a few of the names on the board. We can get more into that on other shows. Just wanted to do a couple of those listener questions for people that uh, did reply quickly tonight um, as it relates to that. So the Gators will host number two, Tennessee, on Wednesday night on ESPN. Um, the Vols were uh, Florida Basketball Hours, were they? I think they were. No, we didn't. We picked Kentucky. Uh, oh, man. Oh, man. The Vols were our uh, Florida Basketball Hour ballot runner-up in the SEC, um, and they are playing like a team that that very well could win the SEC uh, for the second – I think that would be their second championship under Rick Barnes. Um, they are marvelous defensively, and Eric likes their offense better than me. Although, like, for me, like, I will admit that my – issues with them offensively are more personnel related uh, than they are schematic. Like I love the flex offense and I just think those flex cuts that they run are beautiful and um, very hard to defend. And, and they've got a guy that's just tailor made for them in Santiago Vescovi. And it kind of all starts with him. Yeah. This is a team that early in the season, I would just be like terrified for the Gators to play because they were in the exact offense that, Florida couldn't guard to start the season um, where they just handled pin. They just handled pin down so poorly and, and, and flex screen so poorly um, where they're looking a lot better now. But again, um, I think that it's a little bit of just pure bully ball from, from Tennessee. Um, they play so physically. I know you asked me about, you know, Vescovi who is uh, I, I like not, not exactly like bully ball, but again, when he's at um, when he's playing point guard, um, which he's doing less now because of Ziegler, but, he's got, he will get some matchups where he'll take smaller guards on the block and kind of go to work. And he'll be also the guy who will set those, uh, set those kind of flex screens and then get a screen for the screener action and, and, and pop out. And um, we've seen that he can get really hot. Um, his overall three point percentages are okay. Um, good, but he's had some moments of like outstanding shooting. Um, so I, and again, I think if someone's looking for a, a hole in why Tennessee, um, maybe isn't as good as like being the number one team on Ken Palm, which they were as of yesterday. I don't know if they are today. Um, it's, I think you'd look at the fact that like, they don't really have a, a, a one, you know, star scoring option. Um, uh, Vescovi leads them in scoring at like 12 points a game. But again, he's not like an electric one-on-one break you down. Like it's not like a Marquise Noel, um, which is, uh, you know, could be something good for the Gators that there's not one kind of key guy that that you think could go off for for 25 or 30. Um, it's a little bit more more balanced from their offense. Yes, it is balanced. Uh, one thing that they can do that makes them, I think, a little better offensively than like the individual pieces is that they can. Um, and I'd love to see like like if if this were Tennessee basketball hour on Eric Fawcett lineup data piece on Tennessee would be so utterly fascinating because they can play a lot of different ways. Um, they can play big. Uh, they can play small. Um, they've got a guy um, whose last name I can never get right. And that's not my fault. It's really that like um, their media guy doesn't have a pronunciation for him mm. and their announcers. Uh, I've heard it like different ways, but Oliver Nakamura uh, mm. is a, uh, a guy who can play in both the big and small lineups. And it's kind of built for that um, bully ball that, 
that Eric speaks of a little bit. He averages 11 and five for them. Um, he shoots 35% from three, which is just good enough to where you can't really leave him out there all the time. Cause he will hit the pick and pop, but mainly what he likes to do is get downhill um, and uh, distribute. Uh, he's also fourth on the team in free throw attempts, which speaks to his kind of ability to uh, get to the foul line. And and they play him in a bunch of different lineups, Eric. Yeah, and I think that that's one of the things that, um, I, again, talking about their like bully ball, it is it is a lot of playing through playing through the posts, and um, you know Euros Plavsic, um, like seven foot one, two sixty five. Not a super skilled score, but yeah, when you're that big and as as physical as he is, um, that's going to cause problems, um, especially when he's getting such deep post catches. And then uh, on the wings, Julian Phillips, um, really kind of hot, highly sought after recruit. Josiah Jordan James was a really highly sought after recruit that's now ended up in in college. I think probably a lot longer than we would have expected when he first came to Tennessee, but now he's you know six foot six and athletic on the wings. So it's just a lot of a lot of action going towards towards the rim, a lot of wide pin downs to get guys going downhill. And um, then if you are looking for the one guy who will be able to kind of break down defenders one-on-one, it's Zakai Ziegler, who's five foot nine. I think that that's got to be a little bit concerning for the Gators because Marquise Noel was, was cooking everyone off the bounce on the Gators in like nearly comical fashion at at times. And uh, I'll be interested to see again, if we've been talking a little bit for a while about, uh, changing up lineups. They haven't really changed a lot outside of injuries, forcing um, Kugel in for, for fudge for one game. But like there was one player who I thought could like kind of keep Marquise Noel out of the pain. And that was Trey Bonham. Who's just, of course, a little bit closer to that size and, and quickness and could kind of take that bump lower center of gravity. Whereas Noel was just getting by all of Florida's six, three or taller defenders. So I wonder if that'll be an opportunity to get Bonham in to uh, get that, get that matchup. Or uh, I also wonder if uh, if there could be an opportunity, um, or there'd be opportunity, um, how much the Gators choose to play Jason Jatobo just to match up a little bit more with with all that size, especially Euros Plavsic, who I believe also played at Hamilton Heights, not at the same time as as Jatobo, I don't think, but um, uh, they did play at. Uh, uh, I think that I believe they they both played there at. Uh, at Hamilton Heights at some point, but anyways, um, this is a this is a game that is going to present some matchup issues. Um, I think um, just because there's going to be more size on the wings for Tennessee than the Gators have, there is going to be a little bit more bulk up front than the Gators have, and a couple more options. And then, of course, there is there is Zakai Ziegler, um, this five foot nine ability to get anywhere on the bounce. Um, kind of situation that it's going to make me wonder, like, how do the Gators match up there? And uh, that's one of those things, too, if you're kind of concerned with how do the Gators match up, that's really not what you want to be talking about when the Gators are going to be the, uh, or I should say, the Volunteers are going to be kind of more heavily favored. Um, you don't want to be the team wondering, like, how do matchups work? That's that's usually, if you're going to be worrying about matchups, you probably want to be the team that's... um projected to win and that is that is not the case uh neil has just uh dropped off so it's just me for a a little bit so i'll probably had a little bit of a technical issue so uh you all won't hear any of it fortunately but erica was in uh deep on zakai ziegler and and the way he can trouble florida and and just sort of 
Um, the way Tennessee has certainly adjusted some things because of injuries, but they've been pretty stable in, in the way that they play, at least as a starting five. Yeah, and, and again, it's it's one of those matchups that's uh, got to be concerning for the Gators, and, and I do wonder how much they choose to uh, try to match up a, a little bit differently. And I just, again, wonder how much – um, Tennessee tries to just go straight bully ball again they try to bully ball kind of everyone but you then you factor in if the Gators are probably going to have some Will Richard at the four minutes even with Alex Fudge out there um, Fudge is long but not doesn't have like a ton of like bulk so uh, yeah I think uh, I think those uh, you know that, that that's that's a problem but are you at the point Neil where like you know the Gators have been awesome defensively um, and I'm talking about like you know this is a Tennessee team that has been um, just okay offensively to sometimes not very good offensively. Like, is there, do you, do you just go into a game like this and you just like think that the Gators are going to suffocate another really good offensive team? Or like, is there any part of you that might be scared for this, like a uh, bully ball volunteers team? No, I mean, there's a chance that, uh, that Florida can, can absolutely suffer. I think, um, you know, maybe the Marquis Noel thing will be good uh, in the sense that there'll be a little bit more, amped up to play against Sakai Ziegler. Uh, Sakai, uh, just another tough kid like Marquise Noel, though. So he's not rattled. He's also just an absolutely elite defender. Um, so we had the uh, Eric Fawcett shout-out on the Colin Castleton bring the ball up court. Um, beware uh, if that happens again because Sakai Ziegler is just a master at going the other way on those things. And, you know, honestly, like, he's probably the only reason Colin Castleton isn't the front runner for SEC defensive player of the year right now, Eric. Um, that's how good he is defensively. But I do think, you know, if Colin Castleton can get some deep post touches and some buckets, you know, and that's a big it because Juris Plasvich, uh is, you know, sort of physical specimen down there. And Jonas Adu is an outstanding shot blocker in his own right. Um, so they have some trees. Uh, that that can prevent that. And then Florida hasn't done a real good job at getting him the ball uh, very deep, although they've made a bit more of an effort recently. Then, yeah, I mean, if this is probably of the four games that Florida plays, um, it's not the least favorable matchup by any stretch of the imagination. I thought Kansas State was the most favorable, but then again, Florida was on the road. And here the Gators are at home where of late they played very well. Yeah, I think right now it's it's – like again, you know that Florida's offense is going to be like what it is. So I think that the matchups that you just kind of like are thinking that that are favorable for the Gators or other teams that aren't great um, offensive or that yeah that can struggle to score a little bit. Because I feel like again Tennessee has been holding down the top defensive um, rating in Ken Palm's de- adjusted defense efficiency metric for like several weeks. They're way ahead in that metric. So like um they are used to suffocating teams but like honestly the gators haven't really scored on anyone and uh so it probably doesn't really matter what defense they're they're going against Uh, and and again i maybe say that half jokingly but it just seems like you can kind of pencil the gators in for somewhere between 50 or to 64 points no matter what caliber of defense they're playing so the game is going to be kind of maybe won or lost for the gators on um how is the offense for the other team against florida's really good defense so um hey i'm not saying this is a favorable matchup for the gators but it's like hey you'd rather see a team like this um than one that can be elite scoring and potentially put up a bunch of points even though the gators are, are good defensively so um yeah, this could be it. This also this also could be another you know rock fighty type game, and honestly, that might even benefit the Gators. Even though uh, normally the rock fights favor the the road team, 
Um, this might be a situation where uh, if this game can be played in the 50s to low 60s and uh, maybe the Gators have some magic at the end of the game with with someone hitting a shot to um, to win it because again like that would be the one hole on on Tennessee if this game is is close the Gators don't have like a great guy who can go get you one one-on-one offensively but like I would say Tennessee doesn't necessarily either Zakai Ziegler can definitely kind of break down his defender um, okay shooter off the bounce but again he's kind of like usually looking to looking to pass a little bit more. So um, yeah, tight game. This doesn't with uh if it is, if it is close, I, you know, there's, there's probably not a guy in Tennessee that scares you, you know, a ton. No, I mean, the X factor uh, has, well, two thoughts. They've been, they're kind of like two and one and, and like old school rock fights. Um, they, they beat Ole Miss 63 59 in Oxford in, in what was most certainly a rock fight. Uh, they lost to Kentucky um, in uh, Night at the Rock Quarry uh, mm. Part 2 because uh, that Night at the Rock Quarry Part 1 was Florida, Miss State. Um, but had they made two Night at the Roxburys, uh, this would have included been included uh, <laughs> as a sequel. Um, and in that game, Oscar Shibway, uh, it should be noted, went absolutely berserk on the glass, uh, which Florida doesn't have um, – that kind of character. And then they had a rock fight against Kansas um, in Atlantis where uh, many a rock fight have been had uh, in, in that weird shooting environment. And they won that 64 to 50. So, um, you know, they, they definitely will suffocate teams. You know, they held Georgia to 41. Uh, Georgia is not a bad offensive team. They held South Carolina, who is a bad offensive team to 42. Uh, They held Miss state, a bad offensive team to 53. Um, so, and then 59, like when they played them two weeks later. Uh, so, you know, they can suffocate you as well. Their ex fester second point has kind of been Josiah Jordan James. He's only played in 13 of their games. Um, but when he's good, they've been really good. Uh, when he hasn't been as good, like the Kentucky game, when he shot 25% of the field and only had five points, um, they are less good. So I think, he was really good in the Texas game the other night, and so were the Walls. Uh, Josiah Jordan James is kind of a culture guy for them too. Uh, just outstanding defender has just really improved as a passer. Eric, I'm super impressed with his his passing now. And uh, you know, it's not a lot of college basketball players that are five star top twenty five recruits and are still around when Josiah Jordan James is. So it's probably a credit to his willingness to embrace. Uh, a team ethic and and what Rick Barnes preaches up there. Yeah. Normally if you see a guy like rated like that at his position and uh, if they're not, or if they're in college for four years, it's usually because they transferred because usually those guys, if, if things don't go great right away, if they don't go pro they're they're, they're looking to transfer. So um, that's pretty cool. And, and again, Tennessee, that's one thing too with Tennessee in, in, in a world of, of course, the transfer portal um, they have been, like this is largely about the same team that they had last year. Like obviously they lost some guys, but like their key pieces are like everyone we've mentioned so far is, is going to be a a familiar name. Like Tyree key is the one guy who plays kind of significant minutes for them that wasn't playing last year. And he was like a, a a rare true sit out transfer. But, you know, generally it's speaking, it's like in a world of a lot of high major teams building with mid major transfers. This is a team with high major returners. And uh, I think if you're looking to uh, maybe why we should have been smart enough to 
put this team as who we thought was the best in the SEC, we could have said, ha, like this is a team that has a bunch of noted high major players that are returning. Um, that's about a sure thing as you can get. And uh, that's kind of how they're playing. I mean, we picked them to finish second. So yeah. I'm not going <laughs> to like give us too much hell over buying into a Kentucky team that everyone on the planet bought into. Um, but oh, well, you know, fool me once. I won't get fooled again. Uh, as George W. Bush once eloquently <laughs> said. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> that's it for uh, Florida Basketball Hour. Gators in the Balls, Wednesday night in at Zach Tech Arena, the one home game in this four-game murderer's row. Uh, enjoy it, folks, or, or try. Yeah, go Gators and keep attacking closeouts.